Welcome back to another episode of The Authors Unite Show. Here's your host, Tyler Wagner. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Authors Unite Show. Today, we have Sean Castrino here with us. So thank you for coming in. All right. Great to be on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for coming. Yeah, so can you get us started and tell me um, what you do and who you are? Yeah, of course. You know, I'm Sean Castrine. I'm a best-selling author and, you know, I'm verified on Instagram and Facebook. That just means I'm legitimate. So you can listen up today. Um, you know, I've written three books on how to start and grow businesses because I've, you know, started over 20 companies in the last 25 years. So that, and I, you know, teach at colleges as a guest lecturer. So that's kind of who I am and, and why I'm here today. Awesome. Yeah. So you definitely got an interesting profile. So can you please tell us um, about what your your books are about? Yeah. So my first book was called The Eight Unbreakable Rules for Business Startup Success. I, you know, about 15 years into starting businesses, I'd looked around and my companies had succeeded at a level that statistically others weren't. One out of every two startups fail. Um, nine out of 10 don't make it to year number 10. And I had three companies that have made 20 years. So I knew I was doing things differently. So I wrote the book, The Eight Unbreakable Rules for Business Startup Success. And it just kind of had, you know, eight quick things in it that, you know, if you if you followed these, you probably would increase your likelihood of being successful. And those eight things real quickly were, number one is, you know, you, the person have to be a great entrepreneur. You can have a great idea, but if you're lazy, you don't take action, you can't build a team, people don't like you, you can't sell. It doesn't matter how good your idea is going to be. Your business is probably going to fail miserably. Mm -hmm. Number two was, is just because you think it's a good idea doesn't mean it's a good idea. You have to qualify your idea. You got to beta test it. You got to vet it. You need to know it's a good idea before you take it to the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And the third thing was, is that, you know, you have to have a business plan. You have to have some plan of some nature going forward with the business. I mean, coaches set up a plan before they take their players and put them on the court or the field. You know, you have a plan, what you're going to do. It could be simple. It could be very exhaustive, but you got to have some type of plan. And so, you know, I encourage people to do that. Number four was, you know, you need to protect your business and yourself. You need to have partnership agreements. You need to be incorporated. You need to have an accountant so you don't get in tax troubles. Use a payroll service. You know, you have to protect yourself because litigation can put you out of business. A tax liability can put you out of business. Number five was you need to build a successful team. The best team wins. A great idea with a bad team is a nightmare. Mm -hmm. So you want to have a good team. You want to be able to recruit talented people to work with you. Number six was, you know, marketing. You're not, there's no such thing as a word of mouth business. You have to market. You have to be able to steadily attract customers into your business. And that, that's marketing. And then seven was you need to know your numbers. You need to know all your costs. What does it cost to operate your business per day, per week, per year? What's your profit margins? What 20% of what you offer brings in the 80%? What 20% of your staff moves the needle the most? You, you, you need to be a numbers freak. And then finally, number eight was, you know, learn from other people's experience, get mentored, get coaching, um, read books on business, you know, success and failure you know, or, or sometimes it's a very fine line. And if you could get coached by somebody who's been there before, you know, has gone further than you have, has more experience than you, well, they're probably going to, you know, share with you some things that are going to avoid massive mistakes on your part. And I've always said, I'd rather, you know, failure is best heard through a secondhand story and it's a heck of a lot cheaper. So I'd rather learn from other people's experiences 
instead of me always having to fail on my own. So they were kind of the eight rules that I came up with and that ended up being a best-selling book. Okay, wow, that's very interesting. I don't want to give away all your secrets, but can you please elaborate on the HR side of things, things like who, who to hire, who do you think is yeah. the right fit? Yeah. yeah, I'll give you a few things that I, I've learned with hiring. Number one is, is that there, everybody is different in that, that, in other words, when you look at your team, everybody has a different role. Example, you have what I call MVPs, most valuable players. When you're interviewing somebody like that, no matter what you're thinking, you can't overpay them. Your tendency is to give them a low offer. And I'm telling you, when you sit in front of a talented person, this is a person who can move the needle. This is a person who can increase sales. This is a person who can run an entire profit line. When you sit in front of somebody like that, that is not the time to get cheap. Do whatever it takes to hire that person because you never overpay talented people. It's the people that are not talented that end up costing you money. And I always say, you know, if you you pay peanuts, you get monkeys and elephants. And unless you're starting a circus, it really doesn't help in business. So look for MVPs. Next, you have mercenaries. They are people that will work for your company for maybe a short period of time, but they can, they have a, they have a very specific skill and you need it. At that point in the business, you need it. It might be sales. It might be somebody who can help you with manufacturing. It might be a programmer. You got it. Sometimes you got to make a pack with the devil. And you know this person's not going to be around long. You just know it. But for right now, they are the person to help you. And the one other thing I always tell people is there's no sevens in interviewing. Whenever I'd interview people with my partners, I'd always say, well, what do you think of the person before we'd hire them? They go, oh, a seven. I go, no, I don't allow sevens. They're either an eight or a six. I go, a six means they're probably not going to help us. And it means that obviously you're excited about them, but you really have no confidence they're going to be really good. I said, now, if you do, then they're an eight. I'll hire an eight, but I don't hire sevens because sevens ends up being sixes and sixes never move the needle. So, you know, you, you got to hire talented people. Your company is only as good as the people that work with you. And if you want to build something great, you better, hire, you, you better know what talent looks like and you better be able to hire it and keep it. Wow, excellent. Yeah, so can you tell me how you got started in this whole industry of starting up this businesses? Yeah, you know, I... I went to college and thought I'd go the you know corporate route and had my dream job out of college in the DC area mm-hmm. and was actually one class away from a master's degree, married, had just had a child, just bought a house, had, you know, kind of the whole white picket fence thing working. And then I got let go pretty much overnight. There was a leadership change and, and was let go. And then I realized then, you know, at 25, that my whole paradigm of what I thought career would look like change. I realized I really didn't have any job security that the fact is, is that you only have a job every single day on any given day, you could lose it. The company, there could be something financial within the company that you don't know nothing about like Enron when they went out of business, like overnight and countrywide mortgage. And, you know, there's scandals that can happen. There can be a leadership change. They don't need your position anymore. Maybe behind your back, they're actually interviewing people to do your job for less, or maybe they're looking to phase out your position. There's so many things that you don't know about, so you really don't have any security. And I just kind of knew then that I, I didn't want to have my career in the hands of somebody else. So right then I made the decision, you know, I may work for somebody short term, but I was never going to, at some point, very soon, I was going to own my own company and, and build it. And I didn't have a business degree or any, I'd never thought about something like that. I, you know, I was always big on having secondary income. You know, I always had something on the side, but I, you know, it wasn't like I was an entrepreneur. I didn't know that word. 
I was very content to have a really good job, make a lot of money. And because I was talented, maybe have side things on the, I was doing speaking engagements and things like that on the side. You know, I like a little extra money, but, but I was basically a corporate person and then realized that wasn't going to work. Okay. So how do you make the transition from corporate to startup? Like do you read books, do yeah. you get training? I think first, you know, all those things are helpful. I think the first thing you have to decide is, is that, that you want to own your own company. And you need to know why you want to do it. Because it, sometimes if you lose your job, the best thing you can do is just get another job. I mm -hmm. mean, entrepreneurship is not for everybody. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, an, you know, I have two kids and one of them is a school teacher. She's amazing. But she doesn't have an entrepreneurial bone in her body. So if somehow she lost her job, she would just go get another teaching job. And my son is an entrepreneur. You know, he would just find another idea and take action on it. Neither one are wrong. It's just every one of us are wired a little bit differently. So in my case, I knew that I had salesmanship. I was a pretty good communicator. You know, I'd been on sports teams, kind of understood leadership. I, I was fairly confident I could, I could do something. And so I took a job just to pay the bills, selling insurance. And, um, and I, I recommend people actually work while they start a business so that you're not so stressed out financially. There is 168 hours in a week and you can do two things at once. So I took a job selling insurance. And while I was there, and this is kind of, this has been the genesis of all my businesses. I saw a need in an area that I would never personally do myself. So I, it was insurance. It's the first time I met millionaires and they had Mercedes were all over the place, you know, parking lots and stuff like that. And I said, man, it'd be so good if you could get your car cleaned, you know, while we were here at this meeting, you know, that'd be really cool. And this was before auto detailing was, was popular. And um, I went and you know started a business called Waxmaster Mobile Detailing, and that ended up making me thirty-five thousand dollars of passive income that year. I did nothing. All I did was make the phone ring, set up the name of it, and you know it had a toll-free number back then. Toll-free number was eight 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 nine three 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 eight two four, which was toll-free We Detail eight 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 We Detail, and the name was Waxmaster Mobile Detailing. It's still in business. 25 years later, I actually had two of my cars clean like three weeks ago. I sold it um, about 20 years ago, but it, I, I learned how to make $35,000. I never cleaned a car once. Didn't have any business experience, but I realized that if you can fill a need, solve a problem, you know, you can make money. And, and that's what I did. And that worked out pretty, you know, worked out pretty well for me. Nice. Okay. And going back to your story and kind of like a theme of this interview is that people lose jobs, right? Absolutely. So, and when you're looking for someone to hire, you want to look for MVPs, right? I prefer, yeah, talent. Yeah. yeah. So how, what makes a person an MVP? How can the people listening become someone that's indispensable to a business instead of being replaceable like most yeah. people? You know, the, the key is you said the right word. You need to be irreplaceable. You need to be so valuable to the organization that they can't live without you. And so I always say, who do you work for? Who's your direct supervisor? And what does that person value the most? Mm. Find out what it is. I always would say to somebody, and my staff knows to do this, you know, if I was working for somebody, I would go to lunch with that person, say, John, Susie, what can I do that would, would move the needle the most, that would help you the most, would take the most stress off of you? would generate the most profit. You need to find out what that button is. Mm. And you need to focus your attention on that. And don't try to be good at 10 things. You know, be exceptional at about, you know, one to three things that your 
that your industry finds valuable. Mm. Okay, got it. And this might be a bit of a touchy subject, but yeah. do you think MVPs require a college degree or have you no, seen the MVPs? Not at all. Not okay. at all. It, it's, it just, no, I mean, I've got many people work for me that make six figures that didn't go to college. Mm. So I, they, it's talent because it depends what industry you're in. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you can, example, let's say that you're into um, automotive, you have an automotive company and you do body work on cars. Okay. Robots are never doing that. Mm -hmm. They're just not, they're never going to be able to assess and blend and all that. And if they do, they're going to get rid of all of us. We're all going to be robots. But the point, I'm just picking a very common business. Mm -hmm. Auto accidents happen every day. Cars got to get fixed every day. Well, the people who fix those typically don't go to college, Mm -hmm. but that is a highly valued talent. I mean, I had a car accident. I couldn't get my car fixed for like two months. Mm-hmm. So clearly that body shop was making great money. And, and that's, you know, so you, you got to find that need. And then you got to find out who's great within that. And in some industries, you need college and some you don't. But it's, mm-hmm. to me, I'm, I, I have never had anybody ask me my GPA in my entire life since I've graduated, other than maybe a family member. But I've never in my work life have, has anybody ever asked me what my GPA was? Mm. Or even now that I think about it, I don't even think I've ever been asked what my degree was in. Okay. So for the people who are watching who are still in college or they're thinking about starting their own business, right? Do you think they should st- instead of focus most of the energy in becoming an MVP in whatever they're doing right now, yeah. or should they focus on graduating first and then finding a corporate job and then going kind of like your, your way? Yeah. I mean, I think you you need to start today developing the qualities of successful people. And that's all an MVP is. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have the qualities of a successful person, you take initiative, you don't have to be told what to do. You don't have to be told when to do it. People don't have to go behind you to make sure you did it. You, you, you know what I'm saying? You, you show up on time, you leave late. People can count on you. You get along with your coworkers, you're a leader. I mean, these are just general qualities that successful people have. You can develop those while you're in college. But mm. I think if you're in college, you should, your goal is to graduate. Yeah, I think it's really simple. I think, you know, there's no race. If you're, if you're in college and, and that's a part of your plan, there's nothing wrong with that. I speak at colleges all the time. Mm. Um, but, I, and I think you should still develop the qualities that mm. successful people tend to have. I mean, mm-hmm. Tony Robbins didn't go to graduate from college. He's doing okay for himself. And he, so it just depends what your career is. Now, if you're an engineer, a teacher, a lawyer, medical profession, well, they all require degrees to, to be qualified. Mm-hmm. A lot of other careers don't require that. But mm-hmm. obviously, if your goal is to be an engineer, you want to be an architect, you, you mm-hmm. want to be you know, the medical professional teachers. Yeah, you got to go through college. That's the price of admission. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what are some books that you recommend people to read besides your own, of course? Yeah, I have a lot of <laughs> to, books that I yeah, encourage to, people to, be, to, to become MVPs, to become, to become someone like you. Yeah, I think I like Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Mm-hmm. I think that gives you just the broad skill set of what successful people tend to have. Mm-hmm. My next book is Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. That's an incredible book. You should read that through every year. Mm-hmm. Number three would be rich dad, poor dad. That'll make you decide whether you want to be an entrepreneur or an employee because it kind of mm-hmm. shares the two roads. So I like, um, yeah, rich dad, poor dad. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you could, if you started with those, they'd be a good three to start with. Mm-hmm. Okay, definitely. So tell me about your other ventures, right? Uh, you started with the car washing. Yeah, business then I and, yeah moved yeah. along. 
yeah, yeah. I yeah I moved into direct, direct advertising when I owned my obviously I owned that detailing business. I started looking at marketing that really worked for small businesses that didn't have big budgets, and I found that direct mail worked really well, and specifically in like a magazine format instead of like the coupons mm. in the you know in like envelopes. So I started a direct mail magazine and in Virginia and it did incredibly well. I expanded it to 23 cities. It was in Virginia, West Virginia, Maryland. I had like an entire territory and made a lot of money and um, sold that in 2008, but that was my next venture. Mm. And then when I was in doing that, I worked with a lot of people that owned their own companies because that were, they were my clients in the magazine. They were typically local business owners. And I, I noticed that service companies did well in anything, whether it was auto service, whether it was, you know, a made company, a good made company. I mean, all those owners I met typically had a job at some point and transitioned out because they wanted to own their own thing and they just kind of saw a need for it and, mm. you know, and did really well. I mean, I saw I had a made company that was a client of mine. They were doing extremely well, two partners and remember it was called Magic Maids. And so I, I wanted to have a service company. I kind of liked that, but I didn't know what it would be. And then I was trying to hire a handyman where you kind of fall into something. That's why you just got to be alert. Mm -hmm. I was transitioning my dining room in my new house. I wanted to turn it into an office because we had another child. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to get a handyman to help do that, kind of get rid of the lighting, the chandelier, and kind of make it look like an office. And it was like trying to find a a one-eyed leprechaun. It was impossible to find anybody. So I started asking around and nobody else could recommend a handyman. So I was like, I'm going to start a handyman company. Now, I don't know the difference between two screwdrivers and I couldn't put together a three-piece birdhouse if you did the first two pieces of it for me. But I started a handyman company and I partnered with somebody a year into it and we scaled it to over a million dollars in three years. Now we do almost five million and we have eight different companies now and it's grown and it's 21 years old and it's we do Super Bowl ads like I just bought two Super Bowl ads and that'll they'll be regional ads. So, you know, it's turned into a really big company. And, and then two years ago, I started a digital marketing company called Gig, G-I-G Strategic, which is it helps local um, small business owners do digital marketing, online marketing, because I didn't understand it at all. And um, I met someone who it was kind of a funny story. All my TV and radio reps when digital marketing was taking off about five years ago, they all wanted to get in front of me because they know I spent a lot of money on advertising. I love the Super Bowl ad. So they knew I, I was aggressive when it came to marketing. So they all tried to sell me digital marketing and nobody could explain it to me. I, mm. I didn't understand anything. And, I, you know, it was bots and it was impressions and it was views. And, you know, it just it just wasn't clicking in my brain. And I met with uh, a one radio station that had one gentleman who was really sharp. He had worked with some Fortune 500 companies, real quiet person, but just I could tell he knew what was going on. So the next day I reached out to him and I said, James, I'm going to sign on with you all to handle my digital marketing on one condition. You handle my account. And once a month you come in, you meet with me and for 15 minutes, you explain to me so I can understand why I'm spending it, how it's working and what we're doing going forward very quick meeting. And he said, sure, I can do that. And I go, and by the way, if this works, I'm either going to hire you or you and I are going to go in business together. And he kind of laughed that off. Well, three years later, he and I own gig strategic together and, and uh, you'll, you know, we make a lot of money and it's, it's grown 40% in during a pandemic. And so the rest is kind of history. So that's kind of been my story. I've always kind of 
had a, you know, I've never quite understood the industry necessarily, but I know there was a need. I can put the team on the field. So I've, you know, I've, I have over seven business partners, or I actually have exactly seven business partners right now in different businesses and industries. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I have two questions. First one is how do you stay organized with so many moving parts in all of your businesses and managing all these people? How how do you do it? I don't, I I don't partner with people I have to manage. Mm. MVPs. That's the difference. I partner with people that are extraordinarily gifted, organized. If I, my thing is, if I have to tell you what to do, when to do it and look behind you to see if you did it, you're, you're, you're not of my, you're not on my team. You, you bring no value to me. So when I bring in a partner, it's because that person can run the day-to-day operation. Now I have to mentor them for about a year on some of the little things, but James has the natural skill set. He just needed to kind of work, learn how to hire people. He's the one I taught there's no sevens. Because mm-hmm. he kept hiring sevens and they weren't moving the needle. And I go, no, we got to get some superstars in here. Mm-hmm. So I, I have to mentor them and 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 I, you know, I'll typically bankroll the startup. But I only hire people that have leadership skills. That's the, the most valuable skill. There's two. Leadership and sales. Now, if somebody can sell for you, it doesn't matter. They, they, they're going to move the needle. It's just simple math. They sell a million. You pay them this. There's a, there's a spread that's really attractive. And, and they're mercenaries. They're mercenaries. You have them, and that's okay. Now, in leader, you know, somebody who's going to run your company, run the day to day in my, the way my businesses are set up, I, I don't spend any, you know, all my time in any one company. So I can't do, I, I need people that are really talented. So I partner with people, but I give them a 50, 50 cut. Mm. They don't come to the table with any money mm. and we split profit 50, 50. And so that, you know, I, as I say to them, you know, you get 50% of a lot or you can have a hundred percent of a little, which is, you know, being an employee. So, you know, I've used that method and I've partnered with people, you know, over you know, 25 years. I, I still have a business partner. The person I started the, the, the detailing company with is still my business partner now. We just own a ton of real estate together. Uh, and I knew him in high school. So I've had partners literally for 30 years. And it, it's, it's kind of my superpower. So I don't have to be stressed out. My partners solve 99%, 99% of the problems don't even make it to my desk. Like one of them last week was kind of a major problem. And by the time he brought it to me, it was already solved. He's like, hey, listen, I know you're going to find out about this anyway. So let me tell you what happened, tell you how I handled it. Are you, are you fine with that? And I'm like, yeah, that, that was a good outcome, you know, and, and whatever. And sometimes, sometimes they, they get caught in the middle, like, Sean, I've tried to solve it, but I can't. Mm-hmm. And they, that's fine. I'm good with that. And I always tell them. Hey, within 48 hours, if you can't, if you don't think you got a handle on this, get me in it because they don't go away. Problems don't go away. So I don't mind being involved, but I'm not involved in the daily minutia kind of, of anything. I, I try to find partners, partners and profit streams. That's what I'm always out looking for. Partners and profit streams. Well, wise words. That's for sure. Yeah. So how do you find these? these top talents, like what do you usually find them? Do you usually find them at corporate offices? Do you find them at colleges? Or you can literally just find them anywhere. You can find them anywhere. It's funny because I have, they're all different. Like if I look at the partners I have now, you know, the first one, my very first business partner, I, I went to, you know, I, we knew each other from high school and he was a sharp, talented person. We just kind of got along. That's number one. Now, when I started the handyman company, it grew so fast, literally our fifth week in business, we had 54 phone calls for work. 
I knew I was way outside of my ability to handle this. And plus, I didn't want to be involved in the day to day. I owned the magazine at the time. So I knew I had to partner and I needed to partner with somebody who was really on the ball. So I partnered with somebody. I actually bought his company. I, I, he owned a painting company. I bought his painting company from him and brought him in as a partner. Um, so we just kind of absorbed his company and ours. And then he ran the day-to-day -day operations of our handyman company because he had a painting company. And so that, you know, there, here was a person who was just a client of mine in my magazine. He was in the painting, you know, he was a painting contractor in my direct mail magazine. I knew him. He was sharp. I liked him. But I've done it a million different ways. I own a, a kitchen remodeling company where the person who's my partner and it was getting ready to retire. I went in one day and he said, hey, Friday's my last day. He was running their cabinet and countertop division. He designed kitchens. He was a chef, really sharp guy, very, very just eclectic, really had a broad skill set. And I said, hey, let's go to lunch on Friday. Well, I think nine years later, <laughs> we're making a lot of money. He works less than he's ever worked in his life time wise, and he makes more money than he's ever made. And, you know, he goes on vacation like every three weeks. So that's an example of a partnership. You heard about the James partnership. I've done it where I, I have a partner who's an engineer who his son played on my son's soccer team. He got laid off from work. And I just started talking to him and looked at his skill set and, and um, said, hey, let's try something. And it worked. We've been partners now for eight years and we own two companies together. Next, I had a person, my last, my next partner was the one I told you about the story last week, Tony. Tony, I was interviewing for an ad. He was interviewing just for a job we had. But I always like to have jobs with there's a little bit of an off-ramp for a partner. So I'm always saying, hey, you know, based on your experience, you know, your skill level, there might be a possibility for ownership. I put that in my ads occasionally just to throw a hook out there. And you, you sometimes get superstars. And I got Tony and I interviewed him for like two months because, you know, he, I remember he wanted to make $850 a week. I'll never forget that amount. And I said, Tony, I'd love to pay $850 a week. Cause I'm going to make a lot of money on you at $850 a week. I said, but why don't we try being partners? I said, I'll pay you your 850, but let's kind of work on a, on a partnership profit basis. And well, needless to say last year, he made over $250,000 within three years of that partnership. So that $850 a week, I don't would have made, I'd have made an extra, what, $210,000, give or take. But so I'm always looking. I'm, I'm always looking. They come from everywhere. You know, they, they're people I just meet. They're people that have been referred to me. Mm -hmm. I've partnered with people because one of my friends said, hey, you know, I know this person, really, really sharp person, but, you know, for whatever reason. So I, I, I'm always on the lookout for partners and profit streams. Mm -hmm. They're, awesome. they're, the, they're the two things that I, I have made me the most amount of money over the years. Awesome. Yeah. So transitioning to current day, uh, we have the pandemic going on. We don't know what's going to be over. Uh, what do you think businesses are going now? How do you do your ventures now? You know, my, my home service companies, which is amazing. We have eight of them. It really hasn't slowed down because we're not like working in people's faces. I mean, we're not doing quite what we did in 2019, but we're still in the millions. And, and, mm. and so I'm not complaining. Digital marketing, we just did everything Zoom. You know, I, I mean, obviously business is going to be done differently. And there are some businesses that are, are going to be in trouble. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I think you're going to have to reimagine the gym. I think the virtual gym or maybe like one-on-one -on -one training might become more popular where people go to your houses and, and things of that nature. It's just, a you know, it's like 
when when you know everything changes after World War II, the way you know laboring changed a little bit. You know there was before that everybody you know was assembly lines or manufacturing and 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 things started changing. And then you know in nineteen in the nineteen nineties with computers things started changing. Mm-hmm. I think this virus is just it's just reshuffling the board. Mm-hmm. And and if you can't figure it out, well you're not going to be around. I mean that's just the, the reality of it. You know at some there was a time when trains were really important to us and before that horses were really really important if you told people we could never live without horses they'd say there's no way then came the steam engine then came the car then came the plane you, you know i mean it just happens and and and, and those who adjust survive it's survival of the fittest some mm-hmm. will survive some will not but you know that you know it's going to happen. You know what I mean? The, the virus, no matter what, even if they, I think even if they had a, you know, a vaccine tomorrow, it's probably a three-year course of just getting to some degree of, of normality. I, I don't think it's going to run. Like I said, even if everybody was taking a vaccine, you don't know who took the vaccine. So there's still going to be that a few years of, until they see like hospitalizations down the darn near nothing and all that. And I, that's probably a three-year process. So I think this pandemic and, and its effect on us is, is pretty much baked into the, the cake over the next two years at a minimum. Mm, interesting. Okay. And have any of your companies needed to like some major restructuring to, to cope with this um, new situation or no? You know, we have to educate our, our target customer that we know how to socially distance, that we do wear masks when we do estimates. Um, you know, we, we don't do like we used to do group lunches for gig strategic and have business owners come to our office. We don't do that anymore. We send food to their office and do like a, you know, a zoom meeting. You just have to reimagine things, hmm. you know, but, but on the other side, I think there's probably a lot of things that are better, like telemedicine. I mean, how many times do we go to the doctor's office for her, that person just to ask us basic questions and, and things of that na- nature and, and, you know, meeting with my attorney, I didn't have to sit in his office. Now I know I don't have to, or my accountant, you know, so we've speeded things up, mm, you know, so there, there are ways. To, and then if you're an employee now, I mean, my daughter's a school teacher and she was teaching from home today, you know, they have partial. So there, there's positives in this as well. If ever there was a time for you to pick up a master's degree on the side, now's like the time to do it because a lot of people are still working from home and it's based on productivity, not hours. And so I do think, you know, this is redefine what an employee looks like. Mm. You know, the employee right now doesn't necessarily have to, uh, you know, obviously work from an office anywhere. It's based on, you know, production. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. So can you tell me about your time management since you do so many things and you have so many things going on? How do you handle your time? Well, the key is you got to manage time. Mm. One is that I blueprint my week. So on Sundays, I lay out what the week ahead looks like. I, 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 you know, what, what must I get done this week? That if I don't get it done, there's consequences. Maybe that's a contract I need to sign, mm-hmm. a deal I need to negotiate. Whatever that is, I want to write it down. I want to schedule it on days when I have my most focus, my most energy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of lay out my week. And then my staff knows, you know, when I have my I am I, you know, I'm over 40. So I manage my energy. I'm a high energy person, but I don't have energy for like 14 hours a day. So I try to make sure that during the day, this is when I have my most energy. So the highest priority projects are scheduled during then. Mm-hmm. I, at this point, I delegate 
I mean, if I, if, if anybody can do it anywhere close to as good as me, they can have it. So I only focus on the few things. And I told you, where can we make profit? Looking for partnerships, looking to mentor my partnerships. To, so I meet with my partners a lot to make sure how our company's going and things of that nature. You know, I, I'm always writing. So I always put time aside every day to, to write and to research. So I, yeah, I just, I think the key is, is that you, you either going to get managed by your, your, your to-do list, if you want to call it that. I, I don't necessarily like that, but let's just say it's a, you got a to-do list. It's either filled with a lot of stuff that you probably shouldn't be doing. You probably, you know, you got to prioritize what's important. What I always say this, what's, what moves the needle? What's the one thing you have to do every day that if you got it done, you'd increase your income, you, your life would be better. The problem is it's not doing a lot that makes you successful. It's doing the very few things that either you do great and or moves the needle the furthest. Mm. So I don't, you know, my to-do list now has less items on it than it's ever had. But the things that I do are the things that only I can do. Holding mm. a podcast interview or, or, or being interviewed by somebody, uh, writing, only mm. I can write. Um, so I don't, I don't get, I don't sit in my, all my offices at my company and just hang out all day to me. I could do that. I'd look really like a CEO, but I don't, I don't need to do that. So I think the key thing to time management is, is just for one, plan your week out. Don't get caught off guard by everything. Mm-hmm. Number one, next, start your morning in control. Don't start your morning, you know, looking at your phone, your emails and all that social media. Look at your t- look at your calendar from Sunday and then carry it over. Look at Monday. OK. All right. Monday, I said I'm going to do this and this. Has anything changed? Has anything, you know, moved into this Monday? I mean, I don't want to get caught off guard. I want to look at my day and go, OK, this is important. I need to be on. I don't want to be yanked through my day. I want to be leading my day. I want to be in control of my day. Things may happen that I can't, you know, plan for, but 80% of what's on my day, I, I, I'm fully aware of it. I planned it. I planned it during my most productive time. I'm only doing things that I'm really gifted at. So I try to, if I, again, I try to insulate myself from stuff that other people can do. And I think that's what successful people do. And I say no to a lot of things. I don't say yes to everything. I say no to a lot of things because every time you say yes, you're basically saying no. And every time you say no, you're saying yes. I mean, mm. you just are. So again, I, I try to stay in my strike zone and um, spend all my time doing things that I believe move the needle the most. Mm. Okay. And how do you handle your your relationships, your social life. If you if you're working pretty much all day, I don't know how many days a week you work yeah. or how many hours. You know, I mean, I, I, you know what it is? I don't feel like I work. My my family will say that I'm always thinking about work, but mm-hmm. I, I mean, I have an office and I have a home office. I have a studio and I have a home studio, mm-hmm. so I can move around my schedule. But I schedule family time. Like I'm home for dinner every night. Period. I don't have my phone at dinner. I don't leave for work until my kids are were gone for school. Uh, my kids never were in like daycare. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, we never did that. My wife was a nurse, and we she worked part time, and so we just just like I schedule everything else. I schedule family mm-hmm. in that. I work out every day. You know, mm-hmm. I you know so yeah. I think you you schedule what matters to you. Everybody says they're busy. Okay, but if something's important to you, you find time for it. I have the same five friends that I went to college with. I 
take one or two vacations a year with them. I talk to at least two of them every week on the phone, um, you know, and I got multiple business partners that obviously get my time. I, I, I mean, I'm not into acquaintances anymore. You know, people that are outside my, I don't care about networking as much as most people. I mean, I, I'm available to people and I'm happy to do that, but I don't play the networking game, you know, where I'm so worried about like LinkedIn, you know, I, I, I haven't read a, personally, my staff has, but I haven't read a LinkedIn message in five years. Okay. You know, I, everybody that I need to talk to, I can get on the phone in five minutes. Okay. Anybody who needs to get on the phone with me, they know how to reach me. Okay. Wow. You, you know what I mean? Wow. Everybody who's important in my world that I'm committed to, they all have a number to reach me at. Mm -hmm. And it ain't through LinkedIn. You okay. Know, <laughs> if you matter to me, you have my cell phone number. Okay. Wow. Powerful words. And yeah. Um, yeah. So do you have any closing remarks? Where can people find you? Yeah. Uh, your website, your socials? Yeah. I'll give them everything. I always like to give away a free book because books I think can help you more than any other thing. Um, if you go to seancastrina.com and that's C-A-S-T-R-I-N-A, -S -S Castrina, S-E-A-N, um, uh, verified on Instagram. So if you see a blue dot next to my name, you know, you got mm -hmm. the right one. Um, mm -hmm. But if you go to my personal site we give away a free book eight unbreakable rules for business startup successes on there for free and so you can download that and it's it's a really good book it gives you action steps it gives you it really takes you through all the facets of these rules that help you start a business and, and that'll help you so much and then every day i host the 10 minute entrepreneur podcast it's been in the top 10 business podcast before and it does really well and if you want to kind of learn the granular part of a business, understand, you know, marketing and hiring and firing, you know, all these subjects I talked about, I teach those every day on the podcast and or I interview a founder of a company. So it's it's mm. we really equip, encourage and educate entrepreneurs. And I say the shortest amount of time possible. So that's the 10 minute entrepreneur podcast. And again, you can follow me on Instagram. OK, and no closing remarks, anything? No, man, I don't sell anything. I give it away and the rest just kind of works itself out. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Sean. We really appreciate you. Great. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Thank you. The Authors Unite show is sponsored by AuthorsUnite.com. Your one-stop shop for becoming a profitable author and maximizing your impact.